0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, it's BYU facing Louisiana Tech. And the head coach of the Bulldogs, Skip Holtz, joins us right now. Coach, thanks for joining us.
1: I appreciate y'all having me today.
0: I am curious here, you've gotten off to a 2-0 start. How difficult has that been with everything that's been happening with COVID? Or has it not been that tough? Because even though you're dealing with it, the opponents are dealing with it too.
1: Yeah, I, I think everybody's got their own crosses to bear when you start talking about COVID and how it affects each program individually. We we were going along great. We had a, we had a really good camp going. We went about three weeks. We had one positive test. The players were in the building from you know, 7.30 in the morning to 8.30 at night. Um, meetings, walkthroughs, practice, and everything was going really well. And then we unfortunately had a hurricane come through. Louisiana hit the southern part of the state really hard and here in the northern part of the state as it came through here as a category one we just we lost a lot of power and so as a city we were without power for about five days and players were displaced and trying to find air conditioning to sleep at night and we we're trying to find a way to feed them and in the next nine days we had 36 positives and it just it shut us down at that point we were just trying to survive we canceled practice and everybody started coming back the week of the southern miss game so when we when we went into that southern miss game, and we couldn 't even practice Tuesday, and we ended up having to cancel the Baylor game uh, because of it, and then got everybody out on the field for southern miss and as I said, we learned a lot about our team we 've got a lot of new faces, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator and as everybody with no spring practice and very little summer, um, it, it made it It made it, definitely there was a lot of unknowns, I would say, going into the season. Uh, came back, had some sort of a normal week going into our second week with Houston Baptist and found a way to win. So I think we're all, just like I'm sure BYU has their story and what they have gone through with it, with their spike and how they had to cancel a game, and we're all just trying to find what the new norm is and kind of what the rules are and how we, how we have to operate in those guidelines and make this work so we're all we're all trying to do what we can to make it work but right now we want to keep everybody safe and see how we can pull this off and play college football. So normally coach
2: when you have a game like the one that you have this week against BYU it's be something that you would have known about for a good long while maybe possibly years and I don't know over <laughs> the summer if you would have had an opportunity to at least take a peak at BYU it would have been down the line a little bit so I don't know how much time you would have spent on it but this is something that came about so relatively quickly it's almost unheard of basically to be scheduling a game during the season but nevertheless that's what you had what type of challenges does that uh, present?
1: Yeah, quite a few. Um, normally during the course of the summer, what you do is you try and you summer scouting report your first four opponents. You get their personnel, who's coming back, their staff, new changes, put together a preliminary game plan. You know as you get into game three and four, you're going to have a couple of games to go by to see how much they've changed. But uh, it creates quite a workload for both parties, both for BYU and for us. As this game got added late, you're already into your season. Um, BYU had some games canceled. We had a game canceled with Baylor, um, therefore everybody's like, "Hey, we're open this date." So are you? Hey, let's match up and go. This. <laughs> let's match up and go this week. Well, unfortunately, as soon as that game is scheduled, uh, you've got staffs on both sides that are scurrying to to get filmed, to get evaluations, to get breakdowns. What are we going to see? Trying to put game plans together, and uh, it becomes difficult, especially with it being a shortened week. Um, and both of us just coming off of the game on Saturday and then trying to put this together for a game Friday makes it difficult because normally when you come into the office on Sunday after a game, you grade the film from the previous game and then you pull out your summer scouting report and you got a pretty good idea of your opponent. Uh, we're just learning as we go. I mean, we're, we're learning a little bit more about BYU each and every week and, um, I mean, each and every day as we get through this week and just trying to put the best game plan we can together to come up there and be competitive.
0: So the the thing that jumps out at us watching these first two games is the BYU's offensive line looks awfully good. The rushing numbers were (laughs) massive at Navy, and then the passing numbers were off the charts uh, in the second game against Troy. How does your D-line or your front seven, however you want to look at it, match up against
1: BYU's offensive line? It's certainly not going to be easy, and it's not... It's not just, I mean, obviously, BYU's always been big, but they have, statistically, when you look at them right now, this has got to be one of the better teams that they've had. Right now, it's one of the better teams in the country, statistically. They're they're ranked in about, I think it's like seven categories in the top ten offensively, and I think they're ranked in eight or nine categories in the top ten defensively. Um, they have had two of the strongest showings so far this year and what they've done, and one of the reasons that they're ranked right now, as we continue to get into this, and Learn more and more about each football team uh, as we get into this season. But what makes BYU so difficult is they have balance. I mean, as you said, they they go into their opening game and the, the offensive line controls the game. Their their running backs run hard. They're physical. They've got a, a little bit of a committee going back there, and that they can play a couple backs. And they're they're getting those big offensive linemen who have a great a uh, great understanding of their offense. And then you come back the next week and you watch the arm strength of the quarterback and the way that he can throw the ball and accuracy and uh, the time that he has back there it makes, it very, makes it very difficult to prepare.
2: We see uh, statistically anyway that Houston Baptist put up a lot of yards passing, but you won comfortably. I'm wondering how true was that and how concerned are you about your past defense?
1: Well, we knew coming into it, that was one of the biggest concerns we had. Out of You have four starters in your back end, back there in your two safeties and your two corners, and we graduated uh, seven players in the back end. And so we knew it was going to be somewhat of a growing, a growing, some growing pains going for us early. Uh, same thing, you had the opportunity to face uh, Jack Abraham, a quarterback at Southern Miss, who statistically, again, is uh, a really strong passer. You go play Houston Baptist, and he had thrown for five hundred yards against North Texas and six hundred yards against Texas Tech in a game that they lost thirty five to thirty three so uh you know when you when you held somebody to four hundred yards, you walk out and you're a little bit disappointed because you didn't play better on the back end, but we held him one hundred and fifty yards below his average, so we thought i mean it's one of those things you look at it you feel pretty good about it um, but we're we're still learning a lot of who we are back there, and you know when when you've got some new faces. We're playing a a true freshman. We've had a transfer from Penn State who is just now getting to the point where he is becoming uh, healthy and probably more ready to play. And we've got some freshmen or some underclassmen that are starting to get a little bit more comfortable in it. We have a, a transfer from Virginia Tech where we tried to bring a couple upperclassmen in uh, to help a position that you didn't want to rely on all your freshmen. So hopefully if we can get a full slate, as you never know what's going to happen, as we're still you're, you're still constantly testing through the week, and it seems like every test it's like, okay, well we have this one so that takes out three with contact tracing and you just hold your breath that they're the right ones um, but right now we're still learning I think it's probably going to be to the middle of the season until we really figure out uh, just how good we can be and as we have the opportunity to come together and, and start to play quality football as a defensive unit.
0: Skip Holtz joining us. He's the football coach at Louisiana Tech. That's the next game for the Cougars and You've got a couple quarterbacks you played here. Aaron Allen, a sophomore, um, led you to a touchdown early in the opener all that. You went to Luke Anthony. He's piled up some big stats. It seems to be his job. He's a grad transfer. What did you see in him? What took him a while to win the job? Why is he the guy now?
1: Well, just... Same thing. We graduated a three-year starter at quarterback, and when you look at the transfer market today, uh, with everybody getting into the transfer portal, we wanted. We feel like we have a very talented sophomore quarterback, and Aaron Allen, who got a chance to play a little bit last year, um, when the starter missed a couple games. But we brought Luke Anthony in to try and come in and compete as an upperclassman. And uh, what makes it hard was he's been in the offense five weeks. Uh, he came in here early to go to spring practice, and unfortunately. Uh, COVID hit before... We were able to get any spring practices in, so he got no spring practice. We had very little summer with everybody being off, and then he's had he's had camp, which has been very discombobulated, or just with the with the hurricane and the the lack of practice, and then shutting everything down for about ten days, and then getting started back up again. So uh, it's been it, he really hasn't had a lot of time to get comfortable in it. So we came into the first game. We've had very little little scrimmages during fall camp, and so we wanted to play them both going into it. We started with Aaron Allen, who's been in the offense now going into his third year and has a really good grasp on it. He's just young, uh, who I thought did a really nice job. He went, I think he was like third to 11 of 14, I think, in the opening game. Uh, did a nice job, but he threw an interception. And so coming into the second game, we started with Luke Anthony, and I thought he had a really strong performance. He threw the ball very well um and he did a nice job of operating the offense and that's why at this point we'll still play both quarterbacks I think during this pandemic that we're in right now and knowing that in any uh, after any COVID test, they could come in and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you're starting quarterbacks out or you're starting guards out or you're starting defense alignment or safeties out. So you have to uh, you have to create depth on your football team. And so we're just trying to gain some experience for some young guys across the board before we get into our conference race. So they will both definitely play, but Luke Anthony will be the one that will start. But I think one of the reasons that it's just taken us so long is how few scrimmage reps he's had from under the center uh, where we're playing 11-on 11 football
2: and that's where I think that it's played to BYU strength all this craziness with the lack of practicing that's been going on the last several months is BYU returns a very much a veteran team particularly on defense you know they've got experience at all three levels from your perspective offensively what is something that you need to have success at in order to be able to try to win this ball
1: game well again you go back and look at it Statistically, and, and it's video game type numbers. I think they're giving up 16 percent on third down. They're giving up. I think they've given up 15 first downs in two games. Um, put it in perspective. I think we had 32 last week. Um, so when you look at what you're going against, I mean, again, they're they're big. It starts with their nose guard in the middle. He's a force. Um, you got to make sure that you can block him both in the run and the pass game. They have a uh, a very structured defense in what they do. They know what. They they want to do, and they're very they're very good at it. Um, I made the comment, uh, and you just hit on it a year ago when we had a two year returning starter, and we had about eighteen returning starters a year ago when we won ten games. We were probably built more prepared to handle um, the COVID pandemic a year ago than we are this year. When you have so many new faces and two new coordinators, and your players are trying to learn a new scheme, new system, new coaches, you're trying to break a lot of players in. You're trying to compete for positions. You really don't know what you have until you have the opportunity to get out on the field and play games. And so when I look at BYU's defense, uh, just like with their offense, they they have balance. I think you know you, you watch them go against a rushing team in, in Navy in the opening of the season, and they uh, just absolutely dominated and shut it down win that game 40, uh, 55-3. And then come back and play Troy, who is more of a passing team, uh and they shut them down and when that went 45 to 7 and so I think they've got balance on defense, they've played a passing team and shut it down, they've played a running team and shut it down, and like I said, what they do structurally is really sound it's really, they play disciplined sound, fundamental uh, football, and they do a really they do a really good job with it, and then you put very talented players in those positions, and it makes it it makes it hard, with something we, we can't turn the ball over uh, obviously, and we're going to have to find a way to make some first downs, and I don't think you can just go into it and, and say we're going to run the ball and you can't just go into it and say we're going to throw it because I think if you become one-dimensional against a defense as good as BYU it makes it very difficult to move the ball.
0: You've got a couple running backs you mentioned BYU by committee it looks like you're kind of doing the same thing Justin Henderson with 29 carries Israel Tucker with 20 is there, are they kind of interchangeable is one guy more a power guy and the other guy a speed guy how does that work?
1: Well, they're two two seniors that have both played a lot of football. As you talked about the advantage B.Y. has with so much experience returning, it's kind of what we have at the running back position. We have both Justin Henderson, who's a thousand yard rusher for us a year ago, and Israel Tucker, who is a who is a senior, along with Greg Garner, who's had some quality carries for us here in the first in the first two games. Um, I don't think either player, I don't think any player in the country, uh, has had the type of training that we've had in the past, when when we told everybody to go home in March, and you don't see them in March, April, May, June, July, and all of a sudden they report in August for camp, uh, I don't know that anybody's in the football shape we'd like for them to be in to go play uh, and carry the ball thirty sometimes a game. And so we have tried to keep a fresh back. We've tried to keep a rotation going where uh, where all three of those young men will play. And I think right now, just early, um, it's just very it's very difficult with the lack of training they had in the offseason to to ride one player. So we're fortunate there at the running back position because we have a couple players with with some experience.
0: Well, Coach, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we're looking forward to the game.
1: No, I am too. Really excited about having the opportunity to come out there, and I understand this is the first time that uh, BYU and Louisiana Tech have played, and so we're certainly excited to have the opportunity to come out there. Skip Holtz,
0: head coach. Louisiana Tech, the Bulldogs and the Cougars coming up, and uh, BYU big favorites in that game. Uh, you know, he talks about balance on offense, PK, but just looking at the stats to the first two games, and I know they can be a little skewed because the Houston Baptist game got out of hand. But 10 touchdowns passing, three touchdowns rushing. Um, and Henderson and Tucker, you know, are averaging 60, 70 yards a game apiece, but it seems like the run game is there to give the receivers a breather.
2: I would probably agree with that, yeah. It's looking like that that's where they want to go. And Anthony Sr., I mean, I, I realize he was an Abilene Christian in his prior time, and so mm-hmm. maybe it took him a little bit. But I would think that they would be able to have some success through the air. But, you know, the BYU defense has been so stout. I, as I look at this game, one thing that I'm, you never, you know, 100%, but one thing that appears to just jump off the page is that uh, Zach Wilson should have a field day yep. as far as throwing. I mean, do you realize Louisiana Tech, they won 10 ball games last year, so that's a pretty good team, and they beat Miami, shut them out in the Independence Bowl, I think it was, I think it was like 14 uh, nothing. They had two guys drafted in the fourth round, a safety and a cornerback, uh, Sneed and Robertson. I think they went uh, back-to-back like 138, right, like 139 overall in the middle of the fourth round uh, to uh, Kansas City and the Raiders. So you get a program that's losing uh, its entire defensive backfield, and two of those guys go to the NFL. Well, you can see, well, well, that's why they won ten ball games. But you know, at a program like Louisiana Louisiana Tech, can you reload the Utes? You, you, you know, they're going through that, and we'll see what they come up with. But Louisiana Tech would stand a reason. I don't follow the program, obviously, close. But you would think that they would need to rebuild a little bit rather than just plug in two more guys that are going to be drafted. So you can see where they've been weak defensively. So the yeah. one thing that seems to really jump out at me as we prepare for this game is that the Cougars should be able to move the ball through the air.
0: The test will be stopping Louisiana Tech from throwing it. They uh, maybe like the BYU teams, Lavelle Edwards, Norm Chow era, Cougars, where, you know, they had a great passing game, but they had a, a just a bunch of receivers and basically, you know, kind of pick your poison and the quarterback the quarterback drove it, but there were a bunch of receivers who could make plays. The ten touchdown passes have gone to seven different receivers. And that's and and they're not throwing touchdown passes to running backs they're rotating receivers through they're running sprints they are gassing you they're sending another group of guys and everyone can make a play if you make a mistake any one of them can hurt you uh lots of guys with 20 30 and 40 yard. Uh, you know, big plays, and maybe yeah, that's skewed yeah. a little bit by Houston Baptist, but I right. do think that's something for uh, for BYU, you know, to watch out for. Because sometimes build a passing attack around one or two dominant receivers that doesn't look like what Louisiana Tech has here. You know, they got a guy with seven catches, a guy with nine, a guy with ten. They're spreading the ball around.
2: Well, this much I can say for certainty, they're bulldogs. Okay,
0: <laughs> You're feeling very punny this week.
2: Very punny. It is the LaTeX Bulldogs. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah, I didn't know if everybody got it, though. They're Bulldogs, (laughs) man. They're going to come up. There you go. They're going to fight you.
0: All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. Coming up next, everything you missed in this show in one segment. We will get you up to speed NFL, NBA Finals, college football, and the baseball playoffs next. And how about something new we haven't been talking about? Because it's been evolving during the show, changing during the show. We talked about this, uh, what is trending at 7 o'clock. The Vikings and Titans have closed their team facilities after the Titans had eight positive tests. Three for players, five for staff members. The NFL wants the Titans to not allow anyone in their facilities until Saturday. But the game with the Steelers was going to be played as scheduled. That's evolving, changing. Now, apparently, it's not going to be played on Sunday. Multiple NFL national reporters on Twitter uh, saying that the NFL is going to make an announcement later today. Not clear if the game will be moved to Monday. Don't know that they'd move it to Tuesday because that could start impacting the next week. Their bye weeks don't match up. The Titans have a week seven bye, the Steelers have a week eight bye. Is there some juggling could be done with a schedule and a third team? Uh, there's all kinds of things to consider. Expect an, NFL out of, an announcement out of the NFL later today. As far as the Titans and the Vikings and all of you playing, uh, or the Titans and the Steelers game, and then as far as all of you playing fantasy football, you can adjust accordingly. Uh, if you have a fantasy football team that has a Bronco quarterback starting, I'm sorry, you're a mess, you're a terrible team, and the Broncos are switching quarterbacks again. Brett Ripon's going to get the start against the Jets in the Thursday Night Classic. And that's dripping with as much sarcasm as is humanly possible. However much sarcasm the classic can hold, that's it. The 0-3 Broncos, the 0-3 Jets. I think the advantage is that if you're in Denver or New York, you know you don't have to watch the local team on Sunday, and maybe they can feed you another really good game. NBA Finals tonight, Game 1, Lakers and the Heat. The Lakers are the heavy favorites in this. Uh, LeBron should get his fourth title with his third different team. The Heat are clearly the underdog. They're a five seed. We haven't seen a, a team seated uh, this low in the final since the eight seeded Knicks got there in the lockout shortened year of nineteen ninety nine. So it's been a while. And I think a couple things. One, uh, the East is wide open. The Bucks couldn't get it done. And two, you got no. You don't have to travel. You don't have to play. You know, on the road in front of hostile fans and all of that. It's it's a weird year. Uh, But that's not stopping you from rooting for the Heat. Here in Utah, where the Lakers aren't all that popular, 40% of the vote rooting for uh, the—and we're sitting a little over 600 votes— 40% of you are rooting for the Heat. 7% of you are rooting for the Lakers. And I assume that's people who love LeBron, loved him in Cleveland, loved him in Miami, loved him in Cleveland again, and people who moved here from L.A. Uh, 11% of you are watching but not rooting your basketball fans. 42% of you have checked out, and I think you split into two groups. One of you, well, you always check out when the Jazz are eliminated. You're done with the NBA because you're more Jazz fans than NBA fans. And then uh, there's another group of you who are out because of the politics. And Black Lives Matter and the kneeling during the anthem, and you're just gone. Gone, gone, gone. But 42% of you say you've checked out. And I suppose this year there's a third group. This is kind of a one up There's just so much sports going on now. It's hard to watch everything now that college football's kicked off, the NFL's kicked off, baseball is in the playoffs. I mean, you can't even watch all the baseball playoff games. They're literally starting a game every hour. There will, be ba- there will be playoff baseball from 10 a.m. until 11 p.m. And if it's an extra inning game, possibly longer. It's a National League game. If it were an American League game, I would just assume midnight because the American League just seems to play four-hour games. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But it, there's baseball all day long. Weirdness in the baseball playoffs yesterday with three of the four road teams winning. The favorites, the teams with the, the good records, the division winners, largely going down to defeat. The Rays won at home. It's best two out of three. There's no off days. There's no travel. As a higher seed, you get all the games at home. But without fans there... First off, I don't know that home field advantage is really worth all that much. It's probably worth a little bit in terms of not traveling and fatigue. So maybe there's a little something there. But baseball home field advantage is not worth what basketball and football home field advantage is. It's not even. It's not even close. The Rays won the division and they won their playoff game. Uh, they got off to a start, got off to a good start, and then and, and picked up a win. They beat Toronto three to one. But everybody else, it was the lower-seeded team winning on the road. The Yankees hit four homers and beat Cleveland. The White Sox went in and beat the Athletics. Actually had a perfect game going through six innings into the seventh. And the Astros beat the Twins, and Minnesota's lost 17 straight playoff games. Now, to be fair, most of those are to the Yankees, and they've been outspent and outmatched. They haven't had as much talent. But it's baseball. You think at one point your starter has a good day or their starting pitcher has a bad day. You think you'd win one. National League starts today with the first game, the Reds and the Braves at 10 o'clock in ESPN, and then the Dodgers and the Brewers at the last game at 8 o'clock. And in between, there's a game at 10, 11, noon, 1, 2, and 3. So, pick your... One game's on ABC at noon, the Cubs game, and one game's on TBS, but most of them are on ESPN and ESPN 2 if you need to find your favorite team and and watch a game right there. All right, we talk college football. Uh... (laughs) Have you got the Isaac Rex bite handy, Yuck? Hit us with a little Isaac Rex. We talked some BYU football today. David Nixon, former BYU linebacker, uh, joined us. If you're going to beat BYU, how's it going to be done? And he said, well, defensively, the game plan has to be put an extra guy in the box that really doesn't look like their team on team's on the schedule. You know, if they played the Utes, well, the Utes typically have a lot of NFL defensive linemen. So maybe they could stand their ground against the NFL offensive linemen. But these teams that are playing don't have it. I mean, the Utes have one of the better power five defensive lines that probably top five in the league in the in college football most years um and one or two in the Pac 12 and now you've got these group of five teams coming in and they're going to be overmatched so nixon's theory is uh put the extra man in the box you got to stop the run game and then you take your chances and you try to uh maybe mix up the coverage a little bit maybe run some zone blitzes try to to bait zach wilson into some bad throws and throws and get some picks but he thinks it's going to be hard he thinks He's going to score a lot of points. Um, now, Isaac Rex had the touchdown catch and in the, in the game against Troy, and it's a little bit like uh, Oklahoma State, you know, the, I'm a man, I'm 40, right? I almost said Jeff Van Gundy. I always come close to that. But Mike Gundy, you know, and he was talking to – he actually – Gundy's out there, and he says a lot of things. He's out there a lot. That was probably the first time he got in the national spotlight for something he said. It's certainly not the last. But that one incident – he has been able to view you in an appropriate light as he's gotten older. He actually told a hilarious story on himself about he went to his son's uh, youth-based little league baseball game, whatever it was, traveling team, whatever they are, I don't know what league. But anyways, his kid's playing baseball, and he's you know a coach, he's got a lot going on, and he rolls up just as the game's getting going, and he's wondering what's going on because he sees the team gathered in the dugout. As he gets closer, he realizes they're all gathered around his kid. Fatherly chest puffed out, swelling. Yes, my son is a natural leader, right? Who among us wouldn't 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 hop on that ego trip in a heartbeat, right? And then as he gets closer, his son is going, "I'm a man. I'm 40. He's like, "Oh, great! Even the little league team." Is. But he told it on himself, so that was funny. So that that which is brings a, us to which brings us to apparently. In the Byron Rex household, his, uh, his story has been laughed at and chuckled about. His son Isaac now playing. Now, Byron played in the 90s. And if you weren't around then, uh, BYU televised all the games on this thing called the Blue and White Network. And it would air locally on KSL, but it would be syndicated around the country. And basically, they would show BYU games. But when BYU had a bye week or played on national TV, they would plug in an Air Force game. And I didn't know anything about it. I was in Sacramento, and I saw one day, I, I saw that Sacramento State, San Diego or Sacramento State, the San Diego State Air Force game was going to be on TV, and I, it was on this independent station. I flipped it on, it was on something called the Blue and White Network. And I'm, I haven't lived in Utah yet. I'm like, what is a Blue and White Network? <laughs> but whatever, I get to watch the Aztecs, great. And so then I moved here and found out about it. And they did, back in the day, they did a pretty high-quality broadcast. And there were cameras all over the field. It wasn't like, Some low-end high school production, you know, two or three cameras. I mean, they had cameras everywhere. They had mics everywhere. So when Byron Rex scored and got into the end zone in Hawaii, bleep you, bleep you all to the fans, well, there were mics there to catch it on another broadcast nobody ever would have known. But on this broadcast, everybody knew. And then he got suspended for, I think it was a Utah State game, right? So it's lore in the Rex family. So... Isaac Rex gets a touchdown for BYU, and then he does a media availability. And sure enough, dad's celebration comes up. Here's Isaac. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't pull my dad. I didn't pull the Hawaii Byron Rex. I could have, but it would. It would have been unnecessary because there's no fans, and it was at home. And so I guess I could have done uh, pulled a Byron Rex to Troy, but that would have been unsportsmanlike conduct. Okay, so Isaac Rex has a sense of humor. His delivery was great. It time. really was. It was. That was
4: funny. Well, and the best part is he's like, yeah, there have been no
0: fans there. Who am I going to
4: say bleep you to? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> good point. <laughs> there's no fans to say it to. I, probably, I guess there's one sliver. He didn't score in that end zone. He scored at the other end. There's that one sliver where they put the visiting fans. I guess you could run over to them. That was uh, one of the moments that made the Hawaii-BYU rivalry so good, and it's why I don't mind them playing. All right, Yak, write this one down. I didn't bring this up with Tom Holmo, but he's got too much on his mind. In a COVID year, it seemed wrong. But this idea, are you ready for this? BYU and Hawaii schedule a home-and-home. And, home, and they schedule the game. BYU at Hawaii, they schedule the week of the conference title games. And if Hawaii qualifies for the Mountain West title game, they bump it back a year. Flexible, you get an extra game in, you keep that rivalry alive, you extend your season, and BYU is all about the exposure. It puts them on, a TV, on TV on a weekend when there are very few televised games. The other thing I would recommend doing with that, I, since we're in uh, DJ's Random Ideas segment right now, the other thing that they should do with that weekend is BYU and Notre Dame should play that weekend. And if you don't play in the continental U.S., then... It doesn't count against the twelve game limit, and they take BYU, Notre Dame, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. All have domes. That's three games. One year they play in Hawaii. Where do they play that Bahama Bowl thing? They go to that twenty thousand seat stadium and play. It's in NASA. It's a take it's, the brand. I think it's a polo or something stadium. I know BYU's it's played, cricket stadium. Cricket, cricket, stadium, cricket stadium. stadium. Cricket stadium. I know BYU has played in uh, Ireland, but not in December. About Notre Dame, not Notre Dame. Excuse me. Notre Dame has played in Ireland. I said, in December, I'm waving that one off. BYU's played in
4: like Japan.
0: Yeah, right. You can go to, you know, you got to be careful with how far you go with the travel and back. And so I get that. So I'm trying not to send them halfway around the world. I get that they could play in huge soccer stadiums all over Europe, but I'm trying to keep them closer. Here's one for you. There's got to be a stadium in Havana, right? You would think so. The boycott's off, right? You got a baseball
4: stadium you can probably repurpose. Let's go. Let's put him on TV. Do some, it doesn't bring him to Provo, and I know a lot of people want some, that. Do some international diplomacy by playing football. In yeah, maybe, maybe
0: you start in Vancouver, and you, you know you work away to Havana and in the international diplomacy. But Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal would absolutely work. you got dome stadiums at all three places you can play. It'd be great. All right, just random ideas. As long as we're on the topic of Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame had an outbreak of COVID-19. Their contact tracing. They traced it back to a pregame meal. I don't know if they had a map of what table everybody sat at, and then all those guys are sick. I don't know how they figured that out. So I was but re- they seem pretty definitive about that. Yeah, so this. I was
4: reading on this. Kelly said that previously they'd had those players hold up in like that mo- the hotel there mm-hmm. in South Bend. It had all been grabbing go food. So you had guys come in right. grabbing things. This was the first time they'd eaten all together. So yeah, I well, think what your story, what you're saying is these tables... Setting up they to each other. Knew who so their plan going forward now? Move it into a convention center where there's more space. I'm with you. Move it outside. Eat outdoors.
0: The problem here is you can't go to Liberty Park. They're still uh, they're still uh, cutting down trees and stuff and checking damaged trees. I think they're worried about trees that are, you know, ninety percent down and might tip over on somebody. But I went by Sugar House Park the other day. Still close to the automobile traffic. You can walk in there, but that's it. Yeah. Outdoors people. It's way safer than indoors. And, you know, you got to do some social stuff. We can't stay isolated forever, so stay outdoors. The deck, the backyard, the park. Make it happen while we still got the weather. supposed to be back up into the 80s. Got my car this morning. It was like 51 degrees, though. It's definitely fall. That was ridiculously cold. Not in favor of that. From San Diego. I'm from San Diego. I'm soft. Unfortunately, Jersey guy isn't here to light me up for it, but I would just plead guilty anyway because I am. There's no point in arguing that. I'm soft. There it is. I see fifty degree weather. I run the other way all right DJ and PK that's pretty much everything we've been talking about there, but the the big news breaking during the show it looks like the Titan Steeler game uh, will not be played on Sunday, and uh, I know a lot of you are wondering we'll find out later today i'll, I'll check and see what we have in the next segment if it's already out. This is about the time we find out what games uh, the local stations are carrying and then I know some of you uh, I know some of you are uh, wondering that, and I think uh, I think they're out now. We'll get to that next. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up, and the NFL viewing schedule for the week. What you're going to get for free over the air. Stay with us.
1: And it's
2: all over. Almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's
0: go.
3: The big show. It's a big- with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott.
2: For a Pac-12 team
0: to get into the college football playoff with only seven games, would not only have to go undefeated, but I think the other conference's top teams would have to have several losses. Oh, come on. That's I not mean true. you're you some yeah, several. Like
1: three losses. Oh no in way. order for them to have a
0: chance. Get out of town.
1: Let's say Oregon just rolls everybody, beats everybody by two or three touchdowns. No. A team won't have to lose three. Three times I'm They're
0: not, not getting in over a two-loss SEC team. It's not going to happen.
3: The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJPK, it is time for your feedback. I, I checked, by the way, to see if the NFL schedule, TV schedule is out for this week. It isn't. It'll be out later today, and I'll tweet it out. Uh, but I think Steelers-Titans would have clearly been the morning game here on uh, CBS. We have the doubleheader this week. And I think it was clearly the best game without quite, I mean, two and 3-0 teams. And now it uh, doesn't look like it's going to be happening. Maybe they'll move it to Monday. We'll have to see. See how that plays out. Yak uh, and I were just talking about the, the Packer game is the Monday Night Football game. We usually get that game here on Fox, but no Packers, no Niners because the, the Niners are Sunday Night Football, so that'll all get sorted out. You Chasta Trailer tweeting at us, Hey, I like the idea of playing those games in Canada, but I think Canada still has a closed border with the U.S. Yeah, and Notre Dame is in a conference this year, so they got to be eligible for the conference title game. So this is, this is for the future, you Chasta Trailer. I'm assuming it's going to get better and the border's going to open. Please. Right? <laughs> so, well, I'm not assuming it gets better right away. And I'm not a big it's going to be over the day after the election, regardless of who wins. It's going to go through the winter. And then we'll get to the spring. And then March and April, does it start getting better then? I don't know. It's my first pandemic. What do I know? But I'm assuming it's, uh, it's dicey through March or April or something. And hopefully it gets better. But this is for down the line. You know, this is stuff as uh, Tom continues to schedule creatively uh, Notre Dame. Now, of course, Notre Dame has to be interested. But an extra game, you'd sell that game for TV money if you wanted, and Notre Dame's a Washington money. Maybe they'll want it. But they love taking the brand, right? Notre Dame, Catholic fans in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. I think Notre Dame had drawn all three of those places. And BYU would draw some fans, too. So Ute Shasta Trailers on board. I didn't really expect a Ute fan to embrace that first. Um, but way to go, Ute Shasta trailer. Jeff, this is, this is funny. So I put the uh, question up on, uh, on Facebook, uh, who's excited about the Lakers winning another title? And uh, the, it was on Facebook, and we put it up on Twitter as well. And Jeff tweets back, would you expect 2020 to end any differently? In a disappointing year, why not have the Lakers back ho- hoisting the trophy? Sure, why not? Let the Lakers have their fun. Great. Uh, who are you rooting for the NBA Finals? You got that poll question up with forty percent saying the Heat. And Renny says it's baseball time. Get with it. And then he's got the gift. No one cares with the Fox Movie Studios kind of logo, the spotlights, and all that. Okay, pretty clever, Renny. Is this really baseball playoffs? Does this really count? I mean, it does. I guess if the Twins break their seventeen-game losing streak, then then it counts. But this is the wild card round that. Uh, you know, the one, two, and three seeds normally wouldn't even be playing, and four would play five right now. It'd be one game, and then we'd then we'd be into the playoffs. This is uncharted territory for baseball. Do we really think this is going away, though? I kind of think we're going to have this going forward. I, was say. <laughs> I think I think the DH is definitely going to stick. I think the runner on second base will not stick. I think the seven inning double header will not stick. I have more confidence even in that than I have the runner on second. No, because they don't they don't they're playing doubleheaders now. I like it. they did back in the day, but they don't play doubleheaders anymore. And when they do, they play them as day night. They basically play them as two single games. They clear the ballpark and they charge everybody to come back in again. You know, you play a game at noon or one and then you play another game at seven or seven thirty or whatever. So I think I think the nine innings sticks. I think the runner run uh, or the seven inning goes away, we go back to nine innings. And I think the, the runner at Sang Base and extra innings goes away. I think the DH sticks. And then I think this, I, I would say I'm like 60, 40, 70, 30 on this. But I think the thing that, that pushes it into happening here is it creates more revenue. So the owners are going to want it. And I think they've looked around at the other sports. Clocky brought this, Steve Clocky brought this up when he was on. You look at the other sports, this is basically the same formula that the NBA and the NHL have, and people accept it. And the bonus, I think the positive, if you're a traditionalist, the thing that's happened is no one is really trying to build to get to the middle. If you think you're going to be in the middle sitting on you know, 80 wins or whatever, you slash payroll and you just accept 70 wins. Nobody wants to pay for those 10 wins. So what happens is at the start of the year, and this is part of why I got so down on the Padres over a decade, because they did this. And they clearly slashed their payroll and were not competing. Now, they still have a pretty low payroll, but they paid three guys. And those three guys all produced. And granted, Manny Machado was not worth $30 million, but he produced. He, still, he had a good year. He didn't have a $30 million year, but he had a good year. And so I think baseball is going to see all of that and think, hey, our attendance is getting hurt here in part because our fans are smart enough to know that these teams are tanking. I think baseball and the NBA, there's a lot of tanking going on. And expanding the playoffs will minimize the tanking because people realize, hey, we'll sell more season tickets as a playoff team. We'll sell the extra home game. And they're not getting it this year, but in future years. So I think we're I think we're I think we're going towards a 16-team playoff here. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Coming up next, Hans and scotty, stay with us.